Let me invite your attention once again to the book of Hebrews as we continue our study of that book. We're in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I want to add just a quick, um, make a quick addition to things that have already been said by Landon about this Gigi thing that I, I have cooked up. Guys, um, around here at Grace Van, we understand that discipleship is not a course. Um, this looks awful lot, uh, very much like a course. Um, I, discipleship really is summarized better in the phrase that we use so much around here, that simple life together. You remember that, that text in Mark 3 where Jesus chose the 12 that they might be with him? <laughs> the way they got discipled is not taking a course. They got, a, they got discipled by being with Jesus Christ. But there are certain skills, there are certain truths that you got to know which form a foundation on which you can build the superstructure of the soul. So that's what this is. You can take it or leave it. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's five this summer. There'll be some more in the fall. They're listed here. More in the winter. Um, June the 18th. Uh, you know, I, don't, I, I will be alone on June the 18th. How to give. You know, I know not many of you are going to show up for that, or any of you are going to show up for that, but there, there are certain principles that are it's a, it's a basic discipline of the Christian life, uh, giving. So that's, that's going to be in there. And that uh, how to speak in tongues, I hope you noticed that just kidding uh, in there. It's about the Holy Spirit, and you've got to understand his role in the life of the Christian. Starts June 4th. Hope you'll, uh, in and out, take one, take five. It's all up to you. Um, but if you come on the, in the morning, don't leave it uh, break. That would really hurt my feelings. Um, two hours, 10 to 12, every Saturday, four or five Saturdays. Now, um, follow with me as I read, as I read something that's inerrant. Um, it's, um, it's a famous passage. It's um, one that many of you have you've, you've heard of before, but let me read it to you again. Three verses out of Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Gang, let me start this morning by asking you to go to flip over with me. You may not want to, that's fine. Uh, just, just trust me that I'm telling you what's in there. To Luke 11, um, I, I want to start there in Luke 11 with something that, uh, with an episode out of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, it begins in verse 29 and goes through verse uh, 32. And, and we don't have time to read the whole thing. So let me just tell you what this episode is about in uh, Luke chapter 11. The episode begins when Jesus is in an, has an audience and the audience makes a request that he do a sign, perform a sign, you know, and he refuses, he denies that request, and then he points to Jonah and he says, no, no sign will be given you other than the, than the sign of Jonah, which is a veiled uh, reference to his upcoming resurrection. Um, then from there, he moves to Solomon and he mentions that episode where the Queen of Sheba, do you remember that? 
she comes up from Sheba, which is somewhere around Egypt. She comes up to see if Solomon really is as great as she's heard. She goes home saying, boy, he really was. He would, you know, I'd only heard half of it. But she comes up to see Solomon, and, and in this Luke uh, 12 passage, Jesus makes this comment. Something greater than Solomon is here. And then he goes back to Jonah in this little paragraph right here. He goes back to Jonah and he says, through the preaching of Jonah, all of Nineveh was converted. And then he says again, something greater than Jonah is here. Now guys, with that in mind, go, over, go back to our text and you'll notice that our text opens up this way. So then, since we have a high priest, you know it doesn't say that. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest. Here's the point, guys. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, part of the predictions about the, the coming Messiah is that when the Messiah came, he would occupy three offices. He would occupy three roles um, for the nation of Israel. He would be prophet, priest, and king. So we come over to this, the reason I showed you this Luke 11 passage is in that passage, Jesus claims to be a greater king than Solomon. Oh, you remember Solomon? I mean, uh, in the history of Israel, none was, none was greater, including David. Solomon was the one, the king that took Israel to her, her, her highest pinnacle of regional influence and military might. But in the face of that great king, Jesus says, there's a greater king among you. And then that great prophet, oh, that great prophet goes to, goes to Nineveh and in a matter of eight words, that's all that's recorded in his book, uh, um, he preaches for eight words and all of Nineveh is converted. And Jesus says, um, that's a great prophet, but there's a greater prophet among you. And then we come to our text and he says, I'm not just a priest, I'm a high priest. And I'm not just a high priest, I'm the great high priest, prophet, priest, and king. All three of the offices being fulfilled in this person known as Jesus Christ. Now, let me warn you. The theme of Jesus Christ being the great high priest that's introduced in our text is going to be the subject of this author for the next six chapters. He is going to defend the great high priestly role of Jesus Christ over and over, in a dozen different ways throughout the next six chapters. Um, but here's the bottom line. Basically, Jesus had put the Levitical priesthood out of work. He had rendered their profession as a piece of occupational obsolescence. Um, the, the, Jesus created an unemployment problem for priests. You see, guys, the temple had been destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans, but even more significantly, which, the temple, of course, being the place where the, the priests did their thing, but even more significantly, the priests, the uh, 35 years before the temple was destroyed, that veil 
that veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies, oh, that had been ripped apart. Remember we talked about it around Easter. That had been ripped apart, and so now the priests were put out of work. Um, Folks, those guys were simply no longer needed. Why? Because, Because the great high priest, Not just a high priest, not just a king, not just a prophet, and not just a priest, but the great high priest has now arrived. Now, gang, um, you need to remember who the audience of this book is. This is written to some converted Jews. That's why the book is called Hebrews. It's written to a group of of converted Jews who were flagging. That is, they wanted to give up. They, 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 they wanted to quit. And what the what preachers of the gospel had told them is that you no longer need the temple and you no longer need the Levitical priesthood. Now, guys, that's quite a pill to swallow for a Jew that had been raised on the temple and the priesthood. Now they're being told that 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 is the priests are no longer needed um, because the gospel offers you a priest, a, a great high priest, and he did his work not in a temple, but on a cross. Now, guys, what, what is a priest? Uh, we don't use that language in evangelicalism anymore. What is a priest? Well, if you want to know more, you can read uh, Exodus chapter 28. It'll tell you probably more than you want to know. But a priest basically, uh, or primarily, is one who offered sacrifices for the sin of man. They did other things, yes. But primarily what they did is that they offered a sacrifice for sin. And if you know the problem that sin is for us, then the thing that you want most is a priest. Oh, uh, friends are good, and a spouse is even better, and teachers are nice, but what I really need, I really need a priest. And the gospel had told these Jews, you don't need those priests, but you do need this one, the great high priest. Now, what sets this high priest off or uh, what what is different about Jesus than these other priests what what sets him apart from the Levitical priesthood Um, guys that is going to be the theme of this book for the next six chapters Jesus's priestly role and how it is superior to the to the whole office of priesthood that had preceded him what sets Jesus apart Our text gives you four things. You are told four things about the priestly role of Jesus Christ that is superior to that other priesthood. Here's the first thing, and found in verse 14. He accomplishes what other priests can only prefigure. Jesus Christ accomplishes that which the other priests could only prefigure. Now, guys, I hate to do this to you because, you know, you you, you get intimidated because I don't know that. 
Well, do you remember Leviticus 16? We've looked at it before. Leviticus 16 is the chapter that describes the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where the high priest um, went behind the veil, you know, that veil that separated all is and the <clears throat> Yom Kippur, that one day where he goes back there. <clears throat> he goes into this place that represented the presence of God. And he doesn't stay back there long. Oh, no, he wants to get out of there as soon as possible. So he does his thing, but the thing that he does first when he gets back there is that he offers a sacrifice for his own sin. Now, compare Jesus to that. Jesus doesn't go to the place where God is represented. He goes, says the text, through the heavens right into the presence of God. And he doesn't hasten out. Oh, no, no. He sits right down. He's very comfortable because, you see, holiness is comfortable in the presence of holiness. And he sits down because his work is, com- is completed. He doesn't do it annually. He's not in a hurry to leave. He doesn't need to be. Those other priests, oh, they need to get out of there before they do something wrong. So you see, guys, the first thing that the text tells you Um, that sets Jesus apart from that other Levitical priesthood is that he does things, he accomplishes things that could only be prefigured, could be predicted by those other priests. Now here's the second thing that you're told in the text that sets him apart. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is huge. It's huge. We're told that though he was tempted, and always like we were, he was tempted but did not sin. Guys, um, what the author is trying to do is tell his audience how much better is Jesus than their former priests. And he's just made this claim. Jesus, the great high priest, is without sin. Now, compare that to the other priesthood. You remember the the one that was headed up by Aaron? Let me tell you about the first class of priests. First class. Back in Exodus, there were five of them. Remember them? Uh, It was Aaron. Aaron is the, 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 the top dog. He's the number one. It's the Aaronic priesthood. Aaron was number one, and he had four sons. That's the first class of priests. Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. That's the first class of priests. Let me tell you about a few of those. Let's take two of them, Nadab and Abihu. Remember them? Um, where is that? Uh, Leviticus chapter 10, I think, where Nadab and Abihu offered strange fires before God, and as a result, they were consumed by God's wrath. Uh-oh. You weren't supposed to do that. That was a bad thing, Nadab and Abihu. But forget them. What about their daddy? Aaron. What did Aaron do? Oh, this is in uh, Numbers chapter 12, I think. Uh, Aaron participated in a conspiracy along with his sister, Miriam, to try and overthrow Moses. And God was so angry with that that he struck Miriam with leprosy. Gang, in the first class of priests, there were five of them. 
three of them had incredible skeletons in their closets. The other two, the Bible doesn't say much about. Ithamar and Eliezer. You're not told much about them. But that's the first class. The, the priesthood at its best were participants in a rebellion and offered strange fires. But this text is being, we're being told in this text that our great high priest was tempted and yet he was without sin. Gang, again, let me do it to you again. Exodus chapter 12, we looked at it for months. We used it as the text out of which our, our little homilies for the Lord's Supper. You remember it? It was Passover when they were supposed to slay a, a lamb and take the blood and paint it on the doorpost so that they can be protected from the death. Do you remember that? What do you remember? This is, this is early on in that chapter, chapter, verse 5, I think, where it says, now, I want you folks to go get yourself a lamb, and I want you to kill it and take that blood, but it's got to be a certain kind of lamb. It's got to be a lamb without blemish. So the first thing that that means is don't bring your, your, you know, your cast-offs to me. But the other thing that it does is that it predicts, it prefigures, it prophesies that when the real sacrifice for sin gets here, he'll be without blemish. Guys, I could show you that term, that, that phrase, without blemish, in the Old Testament 135 times. Are you all for this? Without blemish. You bring that? Without blemish. You bring another? I'll get it. Without blemish. Without blemish. Without blemish. Because ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, when the high priest gets here, he's going to be somebody without one blemish. He isn't come home from work one night and kick the dog. Not one blemish. You remember in John 8, he says to his audience, he says, um, who of you can convict me of sin? And you know what he got? Silence. Because there was no sin of which to convict, to convict him. Guys, the second thing that sets Jesus apart from the other priesthood that he put out of business is that our great high priest is without sin. That other priesthood, very blemished, but not this priest. Tempted? Oh, yeah. Remember that? He began his ministry. Forty days out in the wilderness, Satan shows up. He's starving, and he says, turn those rocks to bread. You know, take, go up to the highest pinnacle of the temple and jump off. Do something dramatic, Jesus. Do something really with zing in it, you know, and take a shortcut. Don't go to the cross. Go another way. He faced all that temptation, and yet, without sin. Here's the third thing that the text tells you about the great high priest. It's in verse 16. You know, guys, when I was uh, working on this text, I, I, started to come, I started to use this outline. Here are going to be my three points. Huge, huger, hugest. I thought that didn't really work too well. So, but that second one was huge. This is huger. It says, 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. This high priest meets all of our needs and he mentions two. He mentions mercy and he mentions grace. Guys, you know what mercy is? Mercy is pity. It's pity on those objects of his love that he knows that are made out of nothing but dust. Um, Because we're so fond of sin, we're going to need mercy all along the way. Gang, have you ever wondered, have you ever had this thought, you know, I'm finally going to get to the place where I do one too many and God's going to say, well, that's it. I've had it. I, I've, been, I've been long-suffering with that guy for 25 years, and that, that was just the last straw. I can't, I can't handle this anymore. I'm done with him. And at that point, our great high priest says to his father, I understand, father. But don't you see? He's one of mine. And then grace. Gang, if you want to find the gospel in this little text, here it is. Grace. Folks, um, notice in the text that it says, draw near with confidence to the throne. Don't ever forget that. It's a throne. And I think sometimes we toy around with God as if he's some kind of celestial vending machine it's a throne ladies and gentlemen and who sits on thrones but I also want you to further notice that it is a throne not of law it is a throne it is a throne of grace guys every blessing which is promised to perfect obedience is mine. Why? Because of my high priest. Every blessing that is promised to the life of perfect obedience is mine. Guys, God treats Jesus as if he had done everything that I did. And then he treats me as if I had done everything that Jesus did. Do you get that? Do you know what that's called, ladies and gentlemen? That's called grace. That God treats Jesus as if he did everything that I did. And then he turns around and treats me as if I had done everything that Jesus did. It is as if God takes all the medals that Jesus earned and he pins them on my chest.
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called grace. And we are being invited to draw near to that throne. Because everything there that I need is offered me. Guys, I want you to notice that in the text, it does not say there is a high priest. It says we have a high priest. My friend, are you trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Are you? And I want to tell you something. I don't want to tell you about the high priest. I want to tell you we have one. Who completed a work that could only be prefigured by the priests of the Old Testament. A high priest that is without sin and a high priest that meets all of my needs for grace and mercy. I'm not pointing you to him. I'm telling you that if you're a Christian, you have him. I belong to that high priest. Everything promised to a life of perfect obedience is mine. How? Because I have a high priest. I, I could talk to you about this the rest of the afternoon. I won't. I got one more thing to show you in the text. There's one other thing. It's back in, up in verse 15, I think. The fourth thing that I want you to see about what separates this high priest from those others. It has to do with the word sympathize. I love that word. Have you ever felt yourself needing a bit of sympathy and somebody says to you, you're not going to get any sympathy from me. <laughs> no. But I do get it from my high priest. And notice, notice what the text says, guys. Um, it says that he identifies or sympathizes with our successes, with our boldness, with our courage. No. It says it, that he sympathizes, not with my strengths, but with my weaknesses, with my pains with my depressions, with my failures, with my weaknesses. This high priest, the great high priest, he has sympathy for someone who is as broken as I am. So tell me, my friend, what priest is your priest? You know, you're going to have to find some way to deal with your sin. I think even you would admit that. 
I think even, I don't think there's anybody in here saying I'm living a perfect life. You're going to have to find some way to deal with your sin. And, and, and maybe the way that you've chosen is that you're going to be your own priest. The way that you're going to do this is that you're going to take all of your bad things, but you're going to outweigh them with all of your good things. That you're just going to outnumber your bad things with a greater number of good things. And thus you're going to save yourself by your own priestly work. And you, my friend, will fail. But you're going to have to find some way to deal with your sin. Gang, this text is a... Or by this text, you and I are being called to Christian faithfulness based on our performance? No. Based on a person. The text says twice, let us, let us, let's draw near. Let's hang on. Let's not give up. Why? Because we perform so well? No. The text is inviting us to to live faithfully. Because of our great high priest. we are being invited to come boldly before that throne. A throne of grace. Because because we have a high priest. A high priest to whom we belong. We're one of those brands that he plucked out of the fire. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way that you and I as Christians can be thrown out of heaven is if God throws Jesus out of heaven. Because you see, we belong. So let me ask you again. What priest is your priest? We Christians, we have a remedy for our sin. What's yours? Our Father, would you... um, Would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, make Jesus Christ to be altogether lovely in the eyes of all who listen? Might his role, not as king and not as prophet, but as priest, as our great high priest, might that be the comfort of our soul this morning? Might we leave here this morning morning not knowing about the high priest, but knowing that we belong to him? And that our souls are safe 
they are as safe as he is because all of his medals have been pinned to our chest. Father, if you brought people here today who have not yet met this Savior of ours, would you cause them to see that they have a problem? It's called sin, and that the only remedy available for that is the great high priest who has gone through the heavens right into the presence of God, performed his work, and now sits at the right hand of cosmic authority to remind the Father he's one of mine. She's one of mine. Even in the midst of our weaknesses, we have a sympathetic high priest who meets our every need. Oh God, Christian faithfulness is going to be the result of knowing him, not knowing law. Might he occupy all, might, might he occupy center, center stage in our pursuit of holy living. We ask it all in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord.